We're starting a brand new series today, and it's called Vital Signs. The subtitle of that is, What Makes a Church Truly Alive? What Makes a Church Truly Alive? Just like vitals of a human being, you, you, can, you can gauge that. There's things you look for. There's certain specifics that you look at to try to discover, is this person alive and healthy, or are there problems? Do we need to, to address some things? What, what needs fixed here? They always, nurses, doctors, anybody in the medical field, anytime they're examining someone, they always check the vitals, right? Let's you know how the body is doing. And the same is true for the church. And, and it's, it's very important for us, as part of the church, to consistently ask that question. What vital signs are we displaying? What, how are our vitals What condition are our vitals at? Are we truly a a healthy, thriving, growing church? The way we're meant to be, the way we're intended to be, the way our Savior and Lord desires us to be? Or are there evidences of some sickness that need addressed? We need to always be asking that. We need to be always questioning that. So the first question and the first place to start is, is this. What does our Savior desire for us? I mean, Jesus told Peter, close to his death, when, when he asked what people were saying about him and who they were saying he was, and they gave different answers, Peter spoke up and said, well, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the only Son of God. And Jesus said to him, based on that, Peter, you're exactly right, that's true, and my Father gave that to you, and on that truth, that, that paramount foundational truth, I'm going to build my church on that. I am going to build my church, Jesus said. He didn't say, you, Peter, and and everyone after you, that you're going to build the church, make it however you want, make it what you want it to be. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to build it on the reality and the truth of who I am and what I am. And because I'm the one that builds it, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And that's just as true now as it was then. But since Jesus is the the architect of the church, then it makes sense that we would ask, what do you want your church to be, Jesus? If it's your church, what do you want it to look like? How do you want it to be? What do you desire for your church? That's the, the question we have to ask. And again, we don't have to look very far. We don't have to wonder. It's not just this open-ended question. The answer is is very clearly revealed in John chapter 17. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. Jesus is praying to the Father, and it's just this amazing privilege that we have to, to listen in on the prayer that Jesus had with his Father. I mean, isn't that amazing? And the Word of God is amazing, church. We need to be passionate about it. We need to love it. We need to be excited about it because it is unparalleled. And and here we are are just listening and and seeing, as it were, uh, in your mind maybe as I do, just Jesus as he's praying this just with with passion and with, with desire. And he prays to the Father about what he wants for his followers, for his church to be about, what he wants to define them. The most important thing to Jesus is found in in this prayer. Verse 20, Jesus says, I pray not only for these, and these 
is referring to his immediate disciples. The disciples, the original ones that are there around him. Because he was praying for their protection. He was praying for them to go forward. He was praying for their strengthening as he was about to leave. And he said, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That means ever. That means anyone who will ever believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, through the gospel message that was started thousands of years ago with the original disciples, with the original church, that then went out throughout all the world and throughout every age all the way up until right now. You and I sitting here, Christian, if you're in Christ, if you're truly part of the church, you are part of an amazing legacy of faith that spans millennia. And it was started here But Jesus was looking forward and he said, I know that that my kingdom is going to be established and and my my truth and my salvation, it's going to be embraced by millions and millions and millions of people all throughout the rest of time. And so I pray for all of them. I pray for every believer. That's you and me. We were prayed for by our Savior before he went to the cross for us. Isn't that incredible? You were prayed for by your Savior before he saved your life. It's incredible. So I pray also for those who believe in me through their word. Verse 21, may they all, pay attention to this, may they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. Here's the reason for that. So that, very specific purpose, so that, The world, which is outside of Christ, may believe you sent me. He didn't, Jesus didn't just pray for our oneness as believers just so we would be one as believers. It wasn't just for our benefit, although we certainly do benefit from being together as one. Amazing benefits. But that wasn't the primary reason. The primary reason Jesus asked for this oneness to be on display in his followers, in his church, is so that the world may believe. Because the world is not going to believe in the authenticity of the gospel and the necessity of the gospel just by seeing different activities that we may do, just by seeing different programs we we come up with, just by seeing different nuances here and there, that's not going to be enough to make the unbelieving world that is already lost come out of their lostness and say, oh, wow, look what I've been missing. I need to become a Christian because they have this program and that activity, and they're just doing all these neat things. Now, please understand, I'm not against programs. I'm not against activities. Great, let's, let's do that. But let's not ever confuse the primary method of belief on the part of the world and on those that are unbelievers. It's not going to be in things or in stuff or in how creative we might be. It's going to be in the fact that we are united together. That's going to be this amazing contrast to the world because they can't ever be united on anything. If you look at the world outside and culture on every area, politics, economics, family life, all of it. It's, it's all this brokenness and scatteredness and it's, it's division. It's not, it's not unity. 
So if they look at us as believers, as the church, and we are together, and we're united, even though we have differences, even though by rights we wouldn't maybe get together because we have so many different things going on, if they see that, though, and they see that despite the fact that we come from different backgrounds and we have different opinions on matters and different preferences and different experiences, and yet we're bonded together, and I mean, we're really one. If they see that, they're going to think, what's going on with them? How is this possible? When they see a recovering drug addict with someone who's gone to school all their life, has six or seven degrees, has never even touched so much as a cigarette, together in the same church, loving one another, serving one another, the world is going to scratch their head and say, what in the world? What is that all about? And when they, when they see people from opposing spectrums coming together on this one purpose, namely the gospel, it's going to have significant bearing. Jesus knows that. Jesus understands that that's what it's going to take to make a difference in, in the world. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stand out. And it's, it's going to actually be used by him to bring people to belief in him. And, and there's something else here that he says that's just amazing. At the beginning of verse 21, he said, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. That's in, incredible. Jesus here is referencing the fact that, that in the Trinity... Within the Trinity, there's this, this mutual indwelling happening. Because the Trinity, it, it's this amazing mystery. I'm not trying to set out to try to explain it to you. I, I can't. If anyone ever tells you they can fully, accurately, per- perfectly explain the Trinity to you, uh, don't listen. Don't listen, because that's not true. And we, we, can, we can get some pretty good explanations, and, and we can provide some ways of understanding, but we're never going to be able to fully explain it, because it's just a divine mystery. But... Within the Trinity, you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Three distinct persons, all the one God. One divine being. And, and divinity shared among the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we know here and, and throughout other parts of Scripture that there's a mutual indwellingness that's taking place. The Father is, is dwelling in the Son, and the Son in Him, and the Spirit with them. So there's just this incredible unbelievable, indescribable, mutual indwelling with one another. A fellowship unlike we could ever comprehend fully. And what Jesus is asking here is, though, Father, work in, work in my church. Work in those that believe in me in such a way that, that just as you and I are completely one, mutual indwelling, I want that to be the case for them too. That's how unified I want my church to be. It's just remarkable. That's what he wants for us, and that's what we're called to pursue. Verse 22, let's keep going. I have given them the glory you have given me so that, here it is again, don't don't miss this again, so that they, my church, those that believe in me, may be one as we are one. That's the measure of the oneness that we're called to. That's the the standard that we're to to be aiming toward in our unity. The same unity, the same degree, level of unity that exists between the Father and the Son and the Spirit with them. 
I've given them the glory you've given me so that they may be one as we are, are one. Verse 23, I am in them and, and you are in me so that they may be made completely, perfectly, totally one. And here is this again, this, the same statement he made previously. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's the reason that Jesus wants us to be unified. That's why he desires it so much. Because he knows that the unity that the gospel alone can provide is the only thing that's going to make a difference in anyone's life. The gospel and the power of the gospel, that's the only thing that's going to change a life. Any life. That's the only thing that's going to penetrate the defenses and the walls of the unbelieving heart. And the way the gospel gets listened to, the way people will actually take notice of it and start to maybe think about it, it's not going to be in our eloquence. It's not going to be in all the the neat little ways we come up with presenting it. It's ultimately going to be respected and actually observed and given the benefit of the doubt if they see that it's making a difference in the lives of those who say they believe it. And and the way they're going to see that the gospel is making a difference in the lives of those who say they believe it is if they see us actually living that out in unity, together, one. Not each of us having our own little kingdom-building party over here. Not not this person pursuing their version of church and this person pursuing their version and, and this person going after what they hold up is really high and important and they're holding on to it and they're not letting go. And the same over here, they're, they're building up their own little empire here and they're scattered and everybody's doing that. No, that's not going to work. That's not going to make the world say, wow, look how amazing this is. There's really something to this gospel stuff. No, quite the opposite. They're going to say, yeah, see, I knew it. I knew it. There's no difference there. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. But if they see us, not perfectly, but consistently, if they see us pursuing and embracing genuine unity, oneness, like Jesus desires and prays for, they'll, it'll be undeniable. They just won't be able to deny it. Because there's nothing like that in their experience. Nothing at all. So that's what Jesus desires for his church. Unity. Oneness. That's really kind of the umbrella that's over everything else. Unity. Oneness. And if I could sum up, if I could really just summarize the early church when it was first launched and started and growing, I really would define that early church with that, that word, unity. They really did live that out. They pursued that. They realized that it was of vital importance to their Savior. And so they made sure it was vital to them. And we see that fleshed out and lived out in Acts chapter 2. We see that example in in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Um, This is where we're really going to be for the next few weeks in this series uh, we're going to be team teaching this. The pastor is on staff along with me. We're going to be team teaching this. And, you know, we, we talk about this kind of thing all the time. We talk about this all the time together. How can we as a church be more 
unified and in the areas that are important to be unified in? How can we more resemble and live out what the early church did? How can we be the church God intends for us to be? What is necessary? What's that look like? What do we need to elevate? What do we need to focus on? And what do we need to kind of put to the side? We talk about that all the time. And the, these, my fellow pastors with me here serving the Lord and you, they have some really good perspective. And it's not limited to their opinion or, or their preference or, or how they would like to see things done for themselves. It's because they are also in the Word. They study the Word as well. And they, too, see what, what the blueprint of the church should be and what it's been provided for from God in, in the early church. So in the rest of the series... They're going to be unpacking what we see here in this passage. Because there's, there's four main areas that we see in the early church that's really kind of the foundation of how the unity that, that the Lord Jesus desired gets carried out. It's the foundation for how to be a unified church. And it's what's of vital importance. So let me, let me just uh, read Acts 2.42-47. You're welcome to, to turn over there with And read with me. Here we go. This is what summarized the early church. Verse 42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. They were were blown away. I mean, it's just like mind-boggling. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. There's unity. You see that? They were all together. They held all things in common. They were fellowshipping together. They were unified. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That's significant, because that doesn't mean just their fellow believers in the church. When when verse 47 here says they enjoyed the favor of all the people, that means everyone, whether they were part of the church or not. They looked in on this, this new baby church favorably. They appreciated them. They respected what they were about. They, they, maybe they didn't believe yet. They didn't quite fully buy in to what the early church was communicating and believing. That doesn't mean that they just you know, embraced the gospel all of a sudden. It means that everyone around them, they just they couldn't say anything bad. They said, you know, I, I don't know about everything they're, they're talking about here, but Man, I can't deny the good they're doing. I can't deny the progress they're making. I can't deny the, the love that I see amongst one another in this, this church. I can't deny this unity, this oneness. I can't deny it. And, and I mean, it's awesome. And I wish I had that. That's what was going on. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want that. I want to see that. Don't, don't you? I hope so. I hope so. Oh. That we could see the same undeniable display of the power of God in this church in our midst. What, it, 
What does it take? What's necessary for that to happen? Well, first of all, unity, oneness, not division and separation in all these different areas and things, not holding on to things that just shouldn't be held on to, but rather deciding to trade up and to embrace the one thing that really does matter, unification, oneness, all in and through the gospel that, that is the only source of unity that we can find. The, the, the only way we can get that unity. It's not in, in and of ourselves, and it's not in a certain program or agenda. It's in the gospel. That's what unifies. So first, we've, we've got to embrace that. But we, we see a very clear structure here in these verses, and that's what we're going to be unpacking in the next few weeks. We're going to, we're going to unpack the fact that they devoted themselves to, to teaching Why was that so important to them? And why is that so important to us today? Why should that be of utmost importance? Biblical, sound teaching. Why does it matter if we're we're being instructed or not, if we're in the Word or not, if we know doctrine or not? Why is that so important? Why is that of vital importance? Why is that one of the vital signs? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the importance of fellowship, genuine, true fellowship and community together. You know, one with another. Not just, hi, how are you? Oh, good to see you. Okay, great. See, see you. And go to our seat like we always do. But what does it mean to really have authentic, gospel-driven, gospel-centered community? What does that mean? What's it look like? And why is that so important? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the importance of prayer and that the fact that a prayerless church is a powerless church. We're going to be talking about the utmost importance of of praying together as a body often in very intentional ways the importance of prayer and then we also will be looking at the fact that service serving one another outreach to one another but beyond our walls to our communities around us that are in desperate need how important that is how vital that is we see that here in the early church i mean that's that's verses 44 on, and then the people looked favorably on the church because they saw they really did care about them. It wasn't just empty talk. They put feet to their faith. They put action to their conversation. So we're going to be looking at how important these areas are and how they really do make up the foundation under the umbrella of unity. Christ called us to unity, and this is how we can live that out and flesh that out in these areas. Okay? All right, so they understood that unity was important, that Jesus really wanted them to have it. It was important to them, too. They pursued it. They embraced it. They lived it out. We see it here in this passage. You'll hear more about that. But the the question then is how, right? It's great to hear about this, and and I'm sure you are sitting here agreeing with it. And Yep, that sounds great, and wow, it would be awesome to see that in our church. And yeah, I agree, we need that. But the question is how, right? How do we actually go about it? How do we live that out? How do we pursue it? Well, how did they do it? That's the question. We don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Let's just look at how it worked for them because, I mean, they were very successful. They really did reach their world with the gospel. The Lord really did add to them daily those who were being saved. The very first day they started, 3,000 people, and then it just kept going on and on and on, and they really did reach the world. Now, were they perfect? No. Farthest thing from it. They had all kinds of problems in the early church. They didn't do this perfectly. Not at all. Not by a long shot. But they did at least do it. 
And they did it consistently, and God blessed them and multiplied their efforts. So how they did it can really actually be seen in something Paul calls all believers to embody and to embrace and to live out in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul gives some very clear instruction and some very clear guidance and directives as far as what needs to be part of every believer's life, what we need to embrace and pursue and have as important, what we need to hold on to, what we need to, to act absolutely embrace and pursue and lift up and increase in, in very intentional ways. And this is what was true of them. This is what could be seen in the early church. This was part of their mindset and their heart, and it's what defined them and became their whole identity. It had to be for them to be able to do what they did. For Acts chapter 2 to be true, this had to be part of their lives. And therefore, it needs to be part of our lives too. It's just as much for us as for them. And if we will embrace what is in these verses, I guarantee we'll be able to see unity and oneness on display a lot more consistently and a lot more increasingly and we'll see the power of the gospel on display more, and so will others around us looking in. So, with that in mind, let's look at this. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and all of those are very rhetorical questions. Paul's not saying, I, I wonder if there is, and let's debate this a little bit. Let's discuss this. This is, this is open for discussion. You know, is there really encouragement in Christ? And is there really consolation or comfort or strength of love? Any, is there really fellowship with the Spirit? He's not saying that. Of course there is. This is all rhetorical. He, it, it's really saying, since there is encouragement in Christ, and since there is consolation of love, and since there's fellowship in the Spirit, that's what he's saying here. Because all that is true, because this is found in Christ and through him and and in the fellowship with the Spirit that we have in Christ, here's what Paul wants the believers to do with that. And here's what God wants us to do with it as well. Verse 2, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same Love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So what, what can we sum up all that with, by, by saying with one word? What's the word? Louder. Oh, come on. I don't believe you. You believe it. Let me hear it. Come on. Wake up. What is it? Thank you. Much better. Much better. Goodness, goodness, goodness. Joe, thank you. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Uh, unity. Unity. That's what, that's what makes up that whole list. Thinking the same way. Having the same love. Being united in spirit and intent on one purpose. It's unity. And here is what has to be true of us for all of that to happen. This is what, what has to, to be something that we, we very, very intentionally pursue and, and choose to, to fight and, and to make uh, of absolute importance in our life. It's, it's in the next verse. Verse 3, do nothing 
do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In other words, don't let selfish ambition or conceit be what drives you. Don't let that be what defines you. Don't let that be your goal. Don't be all about yourself is another way of saying it. It's not about you. Say I am second or third or fourth or fifth. It's humility instead of pride. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. You see that that contrast there? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Rather, in humility, in, in, in willingly choosing to humble yourself, consider others or, or lift up others as more important or higher than yourselves. Everyone, verse 4, everyone should look out not only for his own interests, which we're all very good at doing, right? We're all very good at that. That comes incredibly easy and incredibly naturally to all of us. We don't have to have instruction on how to look out for ourselves more or to look out for our own interests better. No, we don't need any tutoring there. We've got that down. What we need the help in is the second part of that. Not looking out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what does not come naturally. That is what is incredibly hard for all of us. That is what is entirely counter-cultural and counter-human. It's counter-human. Because from a very early age, from the very beginning, from, from birth on, we're, we're hardwired and programmed in our natural state to be all about us. To say, no, it is all about me. I promise, it really is. It's all about me. You know, the, the song on every one of our lips from the very beginning on is, How great I am. That's, that's what's on our lips. It's not, How great thou art. You know? That's what, that's what we have to guard against and fight against. Paul puts it another way in Romans 12.10. Paul puts it another way, this, this same thought, the same consideration. He says in Romans 12.10, love one another deeply. Deeply. Not, not, not in a shallow, superficial way. Go deeper than that. Don't just love each other in the you know, very nominal sense because you know you have to say you love one another and you know you're supposed to. Go deeper than that. He said, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Now, I, I, didn't, I never had any brothers or sisters. I was an only child for a while. It all changed when I met my wife, Leanne, and when I started dating her, and then even more when we actually became married. Because before I, I started dating her, before I, I really got in with that family, uh, I knew she had a brother and a sister. But I thought that was it. I, I knew her brother. I was actually friends with her older brother, it was a little awkward when we started dating, you know, because we were friends, good friends, and I started dating his little sister. It was awkward. I knew about him. I knew about her older sister. I thought that was it. Boy, was I wrong. She's one of seven. Her baby brother's right there, Ryan. I'm going to embarrass him. Everybody turn. Everybody look at him. He, I mean, he's a good-looking guy, right? You know, you know it. You know it. Humility, Ryan. Humility. And, and so, really quickly, what happened? I mean, I just became one of them. I became part of their family. 
Like, they weren't in-laws to me and still aren't. They're, they're my brothers and my sisters, and they view me the same way. And I love them deeply. And if you have a brother or a sister, no matter how much they have annoyed you at various times, and maybe still are, um, what's true of you, I, I certainly hope, and I'm going to just assume, is that you love your brother or your sister deeply. You love them with a strong love that's a bond that other people can't understand if they don't have a brother or a sister. We're called by God in his word through his servants who wrote, like the Apostle Paul, to love one another, each other, every one of us, to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. And then he says this, outdo one another in showing honor. That's that's a funny way of putting it, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. It's like this, this constant competition that's a really good competition that just doesn't have any end. It's like, no, no, please, you, you go first. No, no, you go first. No, no, you. No, no, you. No, you. I, I mean, it's just, you know, it's like that. Just on and on and on and on we can go. You know, um, it, it's also, it, it's kind of the same concept as uh, just this really, really close contest in a basketball game or a football game. Right now it's the playoffs. It's, it's one of the, I mean, it's the most wonderful time of the year. I love this time of year with the playoffs in the NBA. Love it, love it, love it. And, and there's, there's so many times throughout the playoffs where it, you just don't know how it's going to go because this team scores and then that team scores. This team scores and then that team scores. And you're just like, oh, what's going to happen here? And you're on the edge of your seat. And the same thing with other sports. It goes back and forth, back and forth. Is there ever going to be an end? It's kind of like that. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to show honor to you. I'm going to be selfless to you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to have the big picture of the gospel and unity in mind as I relate to you. And then they're doing that to you and back and forth. We just show honor and selflessness and love. And we all have the big picture in mind together. And it's just on and on and on. It's just no end to it. It's like, oh man, they, they, they just were, they blew me away with their kindness to me, my brother over here. And, and they blew me away with their love. And, and wow, what my sister and the Lord did for me, my goodness, no one has ever done that for me. I've got I've to go even, even greater for them. I've got to go all out for them. I'm going to outdo them. And, and they're doing the same thing. That's the picture here. That's the picture. That's what we're called to. And my friends, all of that requires a power far greater than us. Because we can recognize the importance of this and we can agree with it. We can understand it. But as far as living that out and actually applying it, all of our good intentions and all of our knowledge, it's not going to get us there. It's not going not to help us to consistently live this out. This oneness and this humility and this Mutual serving and mutual respect and self-sacrificing. It's not enough because we're just too human. And in that humanity, we're just too prideful. And we're just too selfish. And we're just too weak. So don't depend on you to do this. You will fail every time. And so will I. We have to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God given to us in and through Christ. The moment we embrace Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit. And in receiving the Holy Spirit, listen to this, you and I receive 
everything we will ever need to be able to live the life that God called us to live. And we don't need more of the Spirit. He needs more of us. It's about surrendering and yielding ourselves more and more and more consistently, intentionally. And allowing Him just to take control and say, I'm going to just sit in the background. You take the spotlight. You drive the ship. I'm on board with you. You lead me. You control me. You change what needs to be changed. I'm yours. Please just work and, and live and love through me, God. And He'll say every time, I will. I will. Every time. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that makes this possible. And as we each pursue this kind of life and this level of unity, my friends, I hope you believe this because it's true. The world will take notice. And they will want what we have. It may not be right away, but it will happen. This is what the church should be like. This is how it should look and how it should function. This, all this we talked about today, it's the vital signs. It's what makes a church truly alive as God defines being alive and healthy. And that's the definition that matters, right? So I hope you join us for the series as this gets unpacked starting next week as we focus in on the teaching and the importance of that. Pastor Matthew will be with us sharing that. I hope you make plans to stick with us through the whole series. Uh, I really am excited about it, and I think it's what we need to be reminded of and need to learn and need to hear about together. All right? Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for your word and the power of it. Thank you that it is always relevant. It's always everything we need. And thank you for in it, in the pages of your word, making it so clear what you're calling us to be and to know and to do. Thank you that we don't have to guess and wonder in, in just this, this empty way. Thank you that we can absolutely just grasp what you're calling us to embody and to resemble and and thank you for helping us, not just showing us what to do or, or how, how to do it and then just leaving us on our own, but rather you have given us, Father, all who are in your Son, Jesus, you have given us your very Spirit. And you have given us all the power that we need to pursue and apply these truths and these realities. We have the ability to see the vital signs that, that you want on display in our church. We have that ability all through the power of the Spirit. Please, therefore, Father, help us to yield to your Spirit. Help us to resign ourselves to the Spirit and to depend every moment on his empowerment. Help us to do that as individuals and as families and then to come together and do that as this local body here. You've placed us all here, Father, for a reason. It's not just random that we're here making up this body. You have led each and every one of us here. So please help us to remember that and help us to come together knowing we've been put together for very specific purposes. Help us in all of this by your Spirit, please. And it's in Jesus' Amazing name that I ask and pray.
all of this. Amen.